0: Here's the word of the Lord, John 1, 43 through 46. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. The son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. Well, hey, good morning, church. Welcome into FBC Online. So glad that you're here with us. My name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And hey, before we jump into the message and the word this morning, I just want to lead us in a brief uh, time of prayer as you. Uh, probably know, and saw this week the events that unfolded in Atlanta with another uh, just tragic shooting. Uh, this time, sp- the majority of those who lost their lives were uh, Asian women. And so we as a church family want to to stand with the Asian American community and denounce this act of violence. It, it breaks our heart. and uh, so we, I just want that to be clear, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in that community. And also we need to realize that this was a man, the man who did the shooting was a baptized member of a Baptist church. And so this uh, sadly, tragically hits kind of close to home, even though it was a Southern Baptist church, we're not a Southern Baptist church, but still uh, there's a a close to homeness with this that we need to address. And and the the shooter even mentions uh, in his kind of motivation for what he was doing uh, that he was trying to eliminate uh, the source of temptation for his, his sexual addiction. And we look at that and, and see just how, how twisted uh, his view of women was, right? That, that women are seen uh, primarily or solely as this object of temptation, the source of temptation, so much so that he would go and... Uh, kill them. And so we, as, as a church, of course, need to denounce, in no uncertain terms, uh, this twisted, evil view of women that reduces them to uh, sexual objects or sources of temptation. We want to uphold the truth of Scripture that women are made in the image of God. Uh, they are partners in ministry alongside uh, us, brothers. And we want to celebrate them and honor them and cherish them uh, today as a church family. And so with that being said, let's, uh, let's pray as a church. Father, our hearts are grieved as we think about the events that unfolded in our country. Uh, specifically, we're grieved uh, for uh, the victims and their families. Uh, especially, again, predominantly, the, the list was mostly uh, Asian women. Lord, we grieve with the Asian American community, our brothers and sisters of Asian descent, and how this uh, strikes home for them in a way that, that many of us maybe don't realize, Lord. And so we just want to pray for them, pray that you would comfort, draw near, and encourage our brothers and sisters. We pray for racial unity. We pray that you'd help us as a church uh, be a picture of Revelation chapter 7 with every tribe, tongue, and nation united in the worship of of you. God, would you lead us forward to that, to that day. And Lord, we also pray for uh, women, the women in our church and in our community, in our country that have been affected by this, that have uh, just maybe been seen or been told that their identity is reduced to being a, a source of temptation, a dangerous object of lust. Lord, we Uh, In the name of Jesus, denounce that, Lord, and we just pray that you would help us communicate clearly that the women in our lives and in our church are made in your image. They are on equal footing with men, Lord, uh, worthy of all dignity and honor before you. Lord, help us as a church community uplift and protect and encourage and celebrate uh, the women of our church. We love you, Lord. And now we turn our attention to your word and pray that you'd speak to us. Jesus, you often say, as you are teaching, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. Pray that you would help us hear, that there is truth here for those who are willing to receive it. Lord, we come with open hands. Would you teach us? In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends. Well, hey, join me in the book of John, chapter 1. This is going to be actually our last little section of chapter 1. As just a few weeks ago we started this new sermon series. It's not going to be new for very long, but we're calling it Come and See, which is a chance just week after week to look at Jesus in the Gospel of John. We're walking through little by little week 5 here. John 1, verse 35 is where we're going to be. Picking up. And as we do that, I'll mention a few weeks ago we talked about decisions, right? Big decisions in your life. How you can look back at your life and see the decisions that have shaped you. Some of them are small, everyday decisions that don't add up to a lot, but others are fork in the road moments that determine the trajectory of your life. We could say the same thing this morning about invitations, though. Invitations. Have you ever looked back at your life and thought about how different your life would be if you had said no to certain invitations? Right? Maybe you said yes to an invitation to a party or a night out back, you know, before COVID and everything and you went out and that's where you met your spouse. What would have happened if you said no to that invitation? Or maybe you said yes to attend a school, or to take a job in a new city, and that change of what would have happened, what would your life have been like if you said no to that opportunity? Perhaps you said yes to an invitation from a coworker to go out to a new restaurant, and it became one of your favorite spots in town. One of the most uh, important invitations I've received in my life came when I was 11 years old from my friend Mark. I've mentioned him to you before. We were 11 years old, and Mark invited me to come to camp with his church youth group. I grew up going to church, but I'd never been to his church before and I'd never been to youth camp before. And he invited me, and I said, sure. Sure. And we went to summer camp, and I probably forgot to bring deodorant, and we had a blast. And it was there that I first remember responding to the gospel of Jesus, saying yes to Jesus. And I think, what would have happened if I said no to that simple invitation Mark gave me to come to camp? We're talking about this because our passage in John 1 this morning has a lot of invitations in it for us. I want you to see as we read the passage in full, starting in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, and Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? "'Can anything good come from there?' Nathanael asked. "'Come and see,' said Philip. "'When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, "'Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit.' "'How do you know me?' Nathanael asked. "'Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. "'Then Nathanael declared, "'Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel.' Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Verse 51, he then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. And thus, John chapter one comes to a close. Here in John chapter one, we see Jesus early on in his ministry and he's gaining disciples, followers. Two sections that we just read. Uh, You notice verses 35 and 42, or 35 through 42 is one encounter, and then verses 43 through 51 takes place the next day. Two separate accounts, but they're parallel accounts. And so we're going to try and take them in together. We're going to skip around a little bit here between uh, these passages. But maybe you notice already all the similarities linking the two. We start off in verse 35 and 37. We see JTB, our boy John the Baptist, once again on the scene. He, again, uh, like last week, sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And these two disciples that were with John, these are JTB's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, they see Jesus, and because of what John says, they go and they follow Jesus. They want to know more about Jesus. And so we start to see then the theme of invitations that is worked throughout the text, right? These disciples of John start following Jesus. He sees them, he asks what they want, and they respond in this culturally acceptable, indirect way, saying, hey, where are you staying? Essentially, they're putting it out there that, hey, we want to know more about you, but they don't want to say that directly and be so bold. And so they say, where are you staying? And Jesus, verse 39, that first invitation, come and you will see. Come check it out. After this encounter, we see one of the two disciples named Andrew, he goes and invites his brother, right? Verse 41, the first thing Andrew did, it says, was he found his brother Simon and went and told him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. It's another invitation. Simon, come check this guy out. Then the next day, look at it with me, verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Jesus invites Philip, and then we'll see in the text that Philip's going to go invite Nathanael. Nathanael isn't so sure about Jesus, right? Verse 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asks, and then Philip says what? Come and see. Come and see, come and see. There's a lot going on in the text, but I want us to start here seeing that this passage is a series of encounters with Jesus and invitations to experience Jesus. Repeated, we see the phrase, come and see, come and experience Jesus for yourself. We see these men find treasure and they naturally want to go and share that treasure with others. Now, notice with me first that this is a simple invitation, right? Come and see. That's why we've named our sermon series, Come and See. It's an invitation to see Jesus for yourself, right? It's not, hey, take my word for it. I'm a pastor. You can trust me. Just trust me on this one. No, it's, hey, come and see for yourself. And often you notice that this is different from other invitations we see in scripture. Sometimes we see the invitation from Jesus to repent and believe. Sometimes we see Jesus tell people like the rich young ruler, "Hey, go and sell everything that you have. The cost is high and come follow me." Sometimes you see sometimes you see the invitation to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. That's not the invitation that we see here in John chapter 1. Now, those invitations are coming. Those invitations are necessary and true to what Jesus calls us to. But we start here with a much smaller step, right? Come and see. Come check it out. Maybe that's why some of you are here today. A neighbor, a friend invited you to church. Hey, come, come and see. Come check this out. See for yourself. Maybe that invitation was 20 years ago. And you haven't left. Maybe some of you were or are skeptical, right? Like our brother Nathaniel in verse 46, right? Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, Nazareth, important people don't come from Nazareth. Jesus, the Messiah coming from Nazareth. What good can come from there? He wasn't buying it, right? You see that in verse 46. But then he was invited to experience Jesus for himself, and that's when everything changed. So I want us to see here in the text that the beginning for many of us is a simple invitation. A simple invitation. Come and see. And so here's the question. Do we create space for people in the church to come and see? Do we allow and make room for these simple invitations? Or do we think that we have to kind of drop the dump truck of theology on people the moment that they show interest? Do we feel pressure to get someone from zero to 60 overnight and fill them up with all the right doctrine right away or think that people have to act a certain way or behave a certain way or, or reach a certain standard before they come to church? Or do we simply say, hey, just come as you are. Come and see. Now, I think that increasingly in our post-Christian culture, we have to start with simple invitations because people are are coming from so many different places, diverse backgrounds. Uh, Increasingly, people don't have uh, much of a familiarity with the Bible, with the language of the Bible with the story of Scripture. And so sometimes if we just jump right in and talk about or assume that people know about what we mean when we say the words sin and repentance and salvation and God and Jesus and, and so on, uh, sometimes we're way ahead of people. And it might not even make sense to them. They don't even have language for those things. And so at first, it can be really helpful, like here in the text, to simply say, hey, just, just come, and, come and see. Come, come and see for yourself. Let's take a a small step and then we can go from there. So sometimes, let's be honest, let's be honest here. Sometimes us church folk, uh, we can be like sushi enthusiasts. Anybody here a sushi enthusiast or you have a sushi enthusiast in your life? You know, someone who just like loves sushi, but it seems kind of odd, a little harder to get into for the rest of us have right? you ever been out to eat with a sushi enthusiast and they're just like so excited that you're there to eat sushi with them and they want to show you all the, the nuances of the menu. They're ordering all these fancy dishes, the combo platter, uh, slabs of you know raw fish are laid out and they're just rubbing the raw fish on their face and they're loving it so much. And they're saying, isn't this great? And you're just kind of like... Is there maybe a beginner's slope here? I don't know if I'm ready for, like, the Black Diamond sushi experience, okay? I'm kind I'm of kind of new to this. Uh, can I ease my way? Like, I'm at the restaurant. I'm, I'm here with you, but maybe do you have, like, some teriyaki chicken and just, like, some white rice? Or maybe, like, do you have, like, a gateway roll? Like, the, that's what the California roll is. It's like a gateway roll to the sushi, sushi world. Like, can I start there? You know, I think that that's sometimes how people are with Christians or with, with Jesus. They're like, you know, I, I don't know if I'm ready for the sushi combo platter and all, the, uh, all that that means, but can I like take a step? Like I'm here at the restaurant. Is there something like a beginner's plate or something we could work through? Now, I, I hesitate to use that illustration because I don't want to make it too complicated. I don't want to make it to seem like following Jesus or being a part of, of the church family is, is unreachable for most people because sometimes just sharing the gospel of Jesus and inviting people into the family of God through faith in Christ is as simple as, hey, here's a warm mug of coffee and a plate of cinnamon rolls, right? It's, just, it's beautiful, it's warm, it's simple, it's accessible, right? Ain't nobody's gonna mess with the cinnamon rolls, right? Everyone can handle that. But sometimes that's what it's like. But sometimes it's it's the sushi world, right? And we got to realize people need to be invited in with small steps, depending on the person. So when we when we take this approach that we can have simple invitations like come and see, I think we take some of the pressure off of ourselves. I don't know about you, but I often feel the pressure to like seal the deal or win the argument, or, or uh, I feel just frankly, just honestly inadequate sometimes to lead people to Jesus. I feel like often my arguments or my, like the points that I'm trying to make with people about faith or following Jesus often fall on deaf ears. I feel like they rarely get through. Just in transparency, often it can be discouraging. But then I remember passages like this. Let's say, you know what? Uh, our job... It's fairly simple. Uh, Jesus has to do the heavy lifting. Right? The Holy Spirit does the work of conviction and transforming people's hearts. What's our job? We simply introduce people to Jesus and then let Jesus do the rest. All right, that's what these disciples did. They encountered Jesus, said, hey, come check this out. And then Jesus did the rest. It can be that simple. Even with Nathaniel, Nathaniel, look. You said in verse forty-six, he's skeptical. Philip's all excited about Jesus. Philip is like on the sushi combo platter level. Nathaniel's like, yeah, sure, you you found the savior of the world, really, uh, for everybody, really, from Nazareth, really, yeah, like, come on, man. And Philip could have gone on and tried to win the argument, tried to convince him. Instead, he just says, look, just come and see for yourself. And then he comes, and and Jesus gets a hold of his heart. He has this powerful, intimate moment with Jesus, and Jesus calls him. So people are not transformed merely by information about Jesus, but ultimately by, by a personal encounter with Jesus. And that's often my prayer, just so you know, uh, my prayer for, for friends, for family members that don't know Jesus. My prayer is often, and Amber and I pray this often, Lord Jesus, would you just show yourself to them? God, would you help them see you clearly? Would you show up to them in an unmistakable way? I know that I can't change someone's heart. Lord, they need to see you. They need to encounter you. And so... We, to apply this to our lives, can, can make simple invitations. Maybe that means you invite someone to church with you. Hey, would you want to come to church? That's a simple invitation. But maybe for someone it starts a little bit further back from that, and that's not what you lead with, but you start with a spiritual conversation, seeing what they believe, seeing, hey, have you heard much about Jesus? If you had to explain what Jesus was about, what, what would you say? And just seeing where people are at. Have you ever read the Bible? asking people that. Would, would you want to read the Bible? I read the Bible daily. Would you ever want to read that with me and talk about it? Recently, I shared a sermon, uh, not one of my own sermons, um, but a sermon from a pastor that actually Steve Fretwell shared with me. It's from Pastor Tim Keller. And then I shared with a number of other people. Uh, some of those people weren't Christians. I shared it with a neighbor, um, people that have maybe had spiritual conversations with. And I just, I, I told if you, hey, if, if you're interested in like knowing more about what Jesus is all about or what Christianity is all about, what I believe as a pastor, this sermon does a great job unpacking that. If you're ever interested, give it a listen. We'd love to talk with you about it. Um, don't know if they have given it a listen yet, um, but, but we'll see. But there's just that simple invitation to see if, if a next step can be taken. So that's a lot of, again... Insider talk. We can follow the example of these disciples to make those invitations. But I also want to speak to you, if you're here today and you're maybe new this morning or uh, considering following Jesus for the first time, uh, we have to ultimately, eventually, make a decision, right? Whether we will respond to the invitation and say yes or not. And sometimes we're too busy, and sometimes we think that we're too uh, yeah busy with other things, or we're distracted, or I'll get to that later. Or, And a lot of us will just say no and kind of push it off. But I want to invite you. There's a reason you're here this morning. Maybe it's to to take that initial step of exploring Jesus. The Alpha Course is a a 10-week course that we've run before that's designed to help people explore Jesus and the message of the gospel. And I love what they say in the first session of the Alpha Course. They, They talk about how if you live to be 70 years old, you will have spent about 20 years and three months asleep. They say if you live to be 70, you'll spend about 10 years and five months watching TV. Spend about five years and nine months in some form of transportation. Spend seven years and six months eating and drinking. So it'll be roughly ahead of you, maybe 570,000 hours of life said, if that's the case, wouldn't it be worth it to spend a few of those hours asking some of these big questions about life, about God, about who Jesus was, right? Look at the global and historical impact of Jesus. No one else has had a bigger impact, uh, a bigger footprint in human history. Billions have claimed to follow him. Been saved by Him, transformed by Him. If that's the case, wouldn't it make sense for you? So, you know, if I've never explored His claims or who Jesus is for myself, maybe it's worth a few hours of my time. Maybe I'll go to church here for a few weeks and start reading the Gospel of John along with the church. And one step you could take, again, one would be to come back and join us next week and the following week. Give us a try for a few weeks. But uh, another step you can take is we've developed this resource called a Gospel Intro Packet. It's designed to be uh, take you through a study for about a month. It's self-directed. It's uh, do it at your own pace, but there's a book that goes along with it. There's uh, some journaling exercises that go along with it. And The idea is it would t- give you a chance to explore Jesus, to see what he has to say to spend a few hours over the course of a month doing some reading and reflecting on who Jesus is and seeing what that means for your life. We would love to get you a copy of that Gospel Intro resource. If you fill out your connection card in the top right corner, uh, give us your name and an email. We'll follow up with you and, and get you a copy of that for free. We would love to put that in your hands. That's a simple next step for you to come and see. Now, There's a lot that we haven't talked about in the text so far, We've only uh, jumped around to a few verses. We've looked at these invitations that form this larger framework for the passage, but I want us to look at some of the other details going on in the text, okay? Uh, We see these invitations to come and experience Jesus, but we have to ask, what does this text tell us about Jesus? I mean, why was this encounter with Jesus so transformative so compelling that these men who experienced Jesus had to go and invite others to experience him as well. What or who exactly is this treasure that they found? Notice in the first section of the text that these two disciples go and they spend time with Jesus. Andrew this uh, is there and this unnamed disciple we don't know who he is. some people think it's the Apostle John, the author of the gospel. We don't know for sure but after they spend time with Jesus Andrew does what he goes and he gets his brother Simon and what does he say to him look at verse 40 excuse me verse 41 the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we have found the messiah that is the christ we found him we found the guy and then verse Uh, 45. Very similar language. A little bit later on in the passage, the next section. Philip is called to follow Jesus. And then what does Philip go and say? Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so you see the same language, right? Andrew and Philip both say, look what we've found. We found the guy. We found the one we've been waiting for. The Greek uh, root of the word there, uh, we found, or we have found, is hierisko. It's a root where we get the word eureka. Right? If we exclaim eureka, we're almost near gold country, right? Up in the hills. Eureka, what does that mean? I found it. It's a shout of joy. Look at what i found. I've discovered it. Look at this. They're saying, we found it. We found the guy. We found the Messiah, he says explicitly. Verse 41, we found the Messiah. This is a word, we talked about this last week, a word, the Messiah or the Christ. It means the anointed one. It's a term that kind of summarizes a lot of strands and themes from the Old Testament, the the people's expectations and hopes about a coming leader and a coming anointed one who would rescue and teach and save and lead the people of God. This, This savior, this king that would come from the line of David, promised in the Old Testament, and it's essentially uh, the same thing that's being said in verse 45, right? This is the one Moses and the prophets wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. So Essentially saying, this is the guy that the Old Testament, Moses, the prophets of the Old Testament, he's the one they were pointing us forward to. He's the one the Old Testament was preparing us for. He's the one that's going to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. And we see this all culminate in the work of Jesus on the cross. It's the heart of our faith, right? It's that Jesus came as our Savior. And he saved us, not as some military leader, some conquering, victorious uh, military leader king no he saved us through his death and resurrection he came to rescue the world and be the messiah uh, by dying for the sins of the world and rising again to new life and so friends this tells us a lot about how to read the old testament right if you've been reading our uh, bible reading plan this year we're working through the bible in a year uh, many of us are reading that right now. We've, we're starting in the Old Testament. and We've seen uh, time and time again how the Old Testament points us forward to Jesus, prepares us for Jesus, shows us our need for Jesus. And so some, some today will want to like downplay the importance of the Old Testament. And I get the Old Testament can be challenging and difficult to read for a number of reasons. But the more we understand the Old Testament, the more we're going to understand the work of Christ and what he came to. To do. Now, I want to get more specific because the text tells us, hey, he's the Messiah. He's the one the Old Testament talked about, the one Moses and the prophets were pointing us forward to. And he unpacks a little bit. The text unpacks a little bit more for us what that means. Look at verse 50. Nathanael is amazed after this encounter with Jesus. And then he says this. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Makes perfect sense, right? Just kidding. You're probably wondering, what in the world is he talking about? Okay, stay here with me. Uh, Angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Some of you, if you're new, you're like, that, that, I don't understand those (laughs) words. Okay, here's what's going on here. This is a reference the Old Testament, Jesus is quoting a line from Genesis chapter 28, the very first book of the Bible. There's a man named Jacob, and he has a dream, and in that dream, he sees the heavens open, and there's a ladder. You heard about Jacob's ladder? There's a ladder on which angels are ascending and descending. Essentially, the ladder in his dream is this connection point between heaven and earth, this place Where God is engaging the world in a fresh way, where God is revealing Himself, where a connection between God and humanity is taking place. So Jesus references the ladder of Jacob, this dream that Jacob has in Genesis 28. And He quotes it. He says, You're going to see heaven open and angels ascending and descending on, not on the ladder but on the Son of Man. He's speaking of himself. Son of Man is one of those titles that Jesus will use to refer to himself quite often in the Gospels. He's saying, they're going to see angels ascending and descending on me. In other words, here, here's the connection. He's saying, I am the ladder. I am the one connecting heaven and earth. I am the mediator between God and man. I am the link. Heaven and earth will be reconciled through me. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians 5:19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins, against them. And how was it that God was going to reconcile the world back to himself? Verse 21, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. He took the sinless one, Jesus Christ, and he punished him on the cross for the sin of the world. So God placed upon Jesus the sin of the world, the consequences, the punishment for that sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might be reconciled to God. So how is it that God reconciled the world to himself? Jesus died on a cross for our sins, taking the punishment and death that we deserve so that God would be just in punishing sin and also merciful in in justifying sinners through the work of Jesus. This is offered to all who would trust in Jesus. He is the ladder. He is the way. There is no other mediator or way to be saved. And the last thing I'll say this morning about the text, we've seen these massive claims about Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the one the people have been waiting for. He's the, the connection between heaven and earth, these cosmic implications, but I don't want you to miss this morning the personal invitation of Jesus. We've seen it in a number of ways, but I want you to look again with me at verse 39. Jesus says, come and see, and these disciples come and they spend a day with Jesus. And then verse 41, you see Simon, after he's brought to Jesus, Jesus changes his name. See that? We skipped over that, but Jesus changes his name, said, you'll be called Cephas or Kepha. In the Bible, God often changes someone's name to indicate a special call on their life. And Jesus says, Simon, I see you. I know you, and I have a future for you. Even though you can't see it now, I'm going to take you and I'm going to use you. And the same thing happens with Nathaniel, Did you notice that with Nathanael and Philip? Philip brings Nathanael, and then verse 47, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And look at verse 48. How does Nathanael respond? How do you know me? We never met. How do you know me already? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathaniel says, How do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you. You were hanging out under the fig tree. And by the way Nathaniel responds, it's clear that that meant no one should have seen where he was. Humanly speaking, there's no way Jesus would have known that information. Jesus clearly has supernatural knowledge, and it causes him to declare that Jesus is the Son of God. But I want you to see with both of these men, what does Jesus do? He looks at them, and he says, What? Simon, I see you. I know you. And I'm going to change your name and declare that I have a future for you. Nathaniel, I, I know you. I see you. I saw you under that tree. I know where you've been. I know everything about you. And I know where I'm going to lead you. Which makes us wonder, did these men find Jesus? Or did Jesus find them? Friends, I don't think it's an accident that you're with us this morning. I don't think it's an accident that you are listening to this message. I think Jesus is inviting some of you to trust in him, or at least take an initial step to come and see. Maybe you've been distracted. Maybe you've been delaying. Maybe there's been a prompting within your heart. I should go to church. I should be there more regularly. I should read my Bible. There's there's something I think God wants me to see, and you've been putting it off. And Jesus is saying, hey, now is the time. Now's the time. Come and see for yourself. I'll show you who I am. And if that's you, again, one step would be to fill out the connection card. Let us get a copy of that gospel intro in your hand. You can start working through that. One step would be to, to fill out your connection card. Let us know you'd like to know more. And as a, as a team here, our staff, we'd love to follow up with you help you know what it means to follow Jesus, pray with you, talk with you about if God's prompting something. In In other words, what I'm saying is God's prompting some of you to take a step. I don't want you to let this moment pass by. Let us know so that we can walk with you and discern what God is saying to you. I think for some of you, some of you are here this morning, and you've been here, you've seen, you've heard enough, and Jesus is inviting you to take that step of faith and put your trust in him to make that decision to turn from your sin and say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are and I will follow you. Maybe you've never made that decision and today is the day you're ready to take that step and say, yes, we're going to pray in a moment. You'll have a chance to do that as we pray. Again, if you fill out your connection card, we'd love to follow up with you about what it means to follow Jesus. Friends, you're here for a reason and Jesus sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He has a future for you. He knows the challenges you're facing right now. And he wants to walk with you if you'd give him your life. Friends, we're going to pray in just a moment. You'll have an opportunity to put your faith in Christ or to, again, let us know as well. If you'd like to be baptized, baptisms are coming up, we hope, on Easter Sunday. Uh, We would love to talk with you. if You've put your faith in Jesus but haven't been baptized would you consider that let's pray and then we'll take communion lord jesus we thank you that like these early disciples you look out and you see us you know us you know what we need and you invite us to come to you to come and see to put our faith in you receive the life and the joy that only you can provide the forgiveness of our sins Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here this morning that has not put their trust in you, I pray that they would pray that simple prayer now, Jesus, I trust in you. I want to today turn from my sin and follow you. And Lord Jesus, we thank you. As we prepare to take communion, these elements that remind us of your broken body and your shed blood, we celebrate you today and the Savior that you are. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, this morning there is an opportunity to take communion together. This is a chance for believers, followers of Jesus, to remember the work of Christ on the cross for us. See, the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, let's take the bread and remember our Savior. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. He said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen.